Well, good morning and welcome again. We've got our kids who are going to be released now to Kids Church. Miss Londa is at the back, ready to take you. This morning we're in another week in the book of Hebrews. We're in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 5 through the end of the chapter. Last week we looked at verses 1 through 4 of chapter 2. And this morning I want to talk to you about what's in this bag here. I've told you that I do this. Um, one of the things that I love about my grandkids is their imagination. I've got, I've got five that are all two and under right now, and a grandkid or two maybe on the way. Um, and what I really enjoy is their imagination. They, they see things, and they hear things, and they make up things that uh, are, are really wild and really fun and exciting. And I used to uh, buy these by the bushel, it seemed like, when I would go to Kohl's. But the last time I was there, they had, uh, they had these for two for $5. Normally, they're $5. These were two fifty dollars each. They were real, genuine Mickey Mouses. And, and uh, I would give them to kids. And I bought 10 of them uh, at two fifty dollars each. And I've only got... I've only got one left. I, honestly, I don't know where the other nine went. I gave them away somewhere. But stuffed animals and dolls and, and action figures, they just, they just enliven the imagination. You can, you can hear voices and you can see gestures and you can uh, see actions and you can see the superheroes flying through the sky. I mean, how many of us 40 and 50-something guys didn't want to be Superman when we were a kid. I mean, with the cape flailing behind us, I mean, going through. I mean, I used to lay in bed at night. I used to dream of flying through the clouds and coming to the rescue and saving the day. Imagination. Imagination. When I was a kid, on the dashboard of my parents' 60-something sedan, which the dashboards back then were like big enough to to put out a holiday meal on, right? Those dashboards, the way they used to be. The car itself was like 10 feet wide, I think. And on the center of the dashboard, adhered to the top, was a figurine of a plastic Jesus. And I remember, uh, as a little kid, getting into the car and seeing plastic Jesus standing there with the robe on and with his hands like this. Now, some cars in my neighborhood had a plastic Virgin Mary on the, the dashboard. So we were Catholic. A lot of the people around us were Catholic. And it was not unusual to get to a stop sign and look at the car next to you and see some kind of religious figurine attached to the dashboard thinking that we'd have a little more safety in this unsafe vehicle if we had one of those, you know, things on our dashboard. Well, whenever I thought of Jesus as a kid, what did I picture? What did I imagine? The plastic Jesus, right? That's the only visual that I ever had of Jesus. And so I would picture the plastic Jesus. And I, as I was looking through the passage for this week, and in fact all of Hebrews, it's amazing that Hebrews portrays a Jesus who is not plastic. Not at all plastic. In fact, none of the figurines or Jesus dolls come close to what Hebrews portrays Jesus to be like. And so I found, I found this video that suggests what someone's life might be like were they to worship plastic Jesus. 
make-believe Jesus, pretend Jesus. So take a look at the screen with me for a minute. Hey, I'm Ryan. I'm a Christian, and this is my story. Growing up, I never missed going to church. When I was 12, I accepted Christ as my Savior. I, I was even baptized. It undoubtedly was a very important decision. It even affected how I lived in high school. I mean, don't get me wrong, I, I had fun on the weekends. I had a girlfriend, a couple, but I was a normal high school kid. College was one big blur, but I did make it to church out of obedience. And after school, I married a great girl. And she's been a great influence on me. Life's been good. I have a house, three kids. I couldn't ask for more. I mean, sure, I worry about my future. I mean, my marriage, it could be better. And I need to spend more time with my kids, but, but things will be all right. I have my faith. You may not hear me talk about it a lot, but that's it's just because it's personal. But don't worry for me. My Jesus is real. Hmm. As we look at that video, I wonder how many of us saw some things and thought, oh, that hits too close to home. That's, uh, I kind of experienced that a little bit. So the title of this message is, Don't Do Plastic Jesus. Don't do that. As we say around my house, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do plastic Jesus because Jesus isn't plastic. And in this passage in Hebrews chapter 2, beginning in verse 5, I found eight things. I think we can get through all eight if I skip through them quickly. Eight things that, are, that, that jump out at me in this passage. And in the first few verses here, the first thing is that that we're, we're kind of plastic. We're, if anything's plastic, we're kind of plastic because we're still, we're still in the flesh. There's still a plasticness about us. If anybody's ever going to be phony baloney, it's going to be me or you, right? Because Jesus never is. But we make him plastic and we put him on the dashboard or we put him here or there or we, we frame him in our minds and we define him however we define him, and there he sits. In Hebrews, it brings Jesus to life. It brings him to life. It puts him to death, and it brings him back to life again. And it's, Hebrews is amazing. And again, remember, Hebrews is one letter. It's one letter. And when it was originally read, it would have just been read from beginning to end. They would have just taken the time because they didn't have Netflix or anything else to busy their time with back then. They would have just done scroll flicks. Scroll flicks. Would have been, it would have been Hebrews. would have been one of the series. And, and so let's start in verse, uh, verse 8. It, it's, he's picking it up about angels again. Remember you was talking about angels? Jesus is far superior than angels. Don't worship angels. And today don't do plastic Jesus. Is not... It's not to angels that he has subjected the world to come about which we are speaking. But there is a place where someone has testified, 
What is mankind that you are mindful of them? A son of man that you care for him. Now, he's quoting from Psalm 8. And here's the cool thing. This is really interesting. If, if you look at Hebrews chapter 1, in verse 4, it says, remember now, one, one thought here, one letter. Verse 4 says, So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. And then you jump into Hebrews chapter 8, and Hebrews, or, I'm, I'm sorry, Psalm 8, Psalm 8, where he's going to quote from extensively here. And you see the first verse of Psalm 8 says this, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And the last verse of Psalm 8 says, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name. How majestic is your name in all the earth. But Jesus has inherited a name that is far superior to that of the angels. And the word name comes up several times here in the book of Hebrews. And it's, it's, it exalts Jesus. It's, it goes on to say, you made them a little lower than the angels. You crowned them, them speaking of mankind, people. You crowned them with glory and honor and put everything under their feet. And in putting everything under them, God left nothing that is not subject to them. So you go back to Genesis 1 and 2, and God created people, male and female, he created them, and he told them to rule and have dominion over all of the earth, over the animals, over nature, have dominion over the earth. But something happened. And now it says this, yet at present we do not see everything subject to them. So right now, we don't have dominion over everything. In our plasticness, we've lost the ability to rule. We've lost the ability to dominate. But here's what it says. Uh, and here's the second thing I see. A plastic Jesus could not die for us. A plastic Jesus could not die for us. But we see Jesus. Now, at present, we don't have dominion over the earth. But we do see Jesus who was made lower than the angels for a little while. Now, now he's crowned with glory and honor. Jesus is, as they say, undiminished deity dwelling in complete and full humanity. Undiminished deity dwelling in full humanity. Jesus is God. Jesus is human. A little bit ago, I was with a group of people, and the question was, the question came up, when we get to heaven, will we be human? Like in our glorified 1 Corinthians 15 new bodies that are, that are you know, sown in mortality, raised in immortality, sown in weakness, raised in strength, sown in dishonor, raised in glory, will that new body, will we still be human? And the the initial consensus of the group was, no, no, we're not going to be human. We're going to be in our eternal bodies, we'll fly through the air, walk through walls. But, but, we see Jesus as fully human. He's the prototype. He's who we're becoming like, more and more into the image of Jesus, right? Jesus is fully human. 
and we will be totally and completely human, the human that God made us to be, undiminished by sin, because right now we're tainted with the plastic of sin. So he's now crowned with glory and honor. Why? Because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. A plastic Jesus couldn't die. And what did he suffer? It says he suffered death, so that by the grace of God, and again, it's grace and suffering death, they don't seem like they go together. Seems like if God's grace was prevalent there, Jesus wouldn't have had to die. But that's exactly why Jesus had to die, was so that God could show us grace. So that our sin is actually paid for. Our sin is actually punished. God has punished our sin in Jesus on the cross so that when we come to God, he can be just, a righteous, just judge, judging rightly, and still clear us and still let us off scot-free because Jesus wasn't let off scot-free. Really, scot-free is a misnomer. There's no scot-free when it costs the blood of Jesus, right? He let us off based on the gift of the Son of God on the cross. Number three, a plastic Jesus cannot suffer. In bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, parentheses, for for whom and through whom everything exists, it was fitting that God should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. That word perfect here, it just means, it means complete. So I was talking to somebody recently about racing. And uh, I said to that person, if you would just record a lap and then just loop it, there's your race. Like, no, 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 no. You've never watched a race, have you? Nope. I've never watched a race. I mean, I think... What in the world could be more boring than? And some of you are thinking, wow, he is so ignorant. It's true, I am. I am so ignorant of racing. I really am. I've never been to a race. I've, I've been close to one. Darren Hurt once took me to the track when they had those little practice cars. I don't know what they were. People have cars and they take them to the racetrack and they race them around, Right? There were a few cars out there, and when they would go by, they would go, ying, and I'd go, ooh. <laughs> they'd go, ying, and I'm, oh, wow, this is exciting. And there wasn't even anybody in the stands, so I can imagine what it is like on race weekend. But here's the truth. This says, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect, complete, through what he suffered, and he suffered death. The truth is, the race isn't over until the last lap, Right? After the last lap, the race is over. Until you get that last lap, the checkered flag never comes out. And the checkered flag comes out for Jesus when the pioneer of their salvation completed that last lap in death. So when Jesus came, he taught and he healed and he fed, right? He cast out demons. He raised people from the dead. He did all these things. He cared for people. He wept with people. But his ministry wasn't complete until he died. It wasn't complete until he went to the cross and he paid 
for our sins. Speaking of races, not this coming weekend, but the weekend after there's races, right? Those of you who are close to the racetrack, I mean, we all are right now, right? But there's this, I don't know, it's like, an, is it an indie race? A week from this weekend? Yes, somebody's saying yes. So somebody who runs this ministry there is calling out to us, asking if a couple of our people can be there at the racetrack to share, to pray with people and to counsel with people and to share the gospel with people. If you'd like to be a part of that, let me know because they want to know pretty quick because it's coming up in two weeks. But if you want to be a part of that, it's like for three or three and a half hours on a Friday and or a Saturday and you get in free. So you get in free, you're in the racing environment and you get to talk about Jesus to people. What could be better? So if you want in on that, talk to me about it. But the race wasn't over for Jesus until the last lap, and that was death. So it was fitting that God should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. Why was that fitting? Why was that fitting? We're going to see as we go on. Number four, a plastic Jesus cannot make anyone holy. So you're driving down the road and you're thinking about all of your shortcomings, your sins, your failures, your, your, your stuff that you just want to do in life and you haven't done, you don't think you're ever going to do, that thing you want to get victory over and you don't think you're ever going to get victory over it, and you look at the plastic Jesus and, oh, he's going to make you holy. Uh-uh, he's not going to make you holy. A plastic Jesus can't do that. But it says here in verse 10, in bringing many sons and daughters, oh, no, no, here we go, uh, verse 11, both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. The one who makes people holy is God. God, by the way, comes in three persons. He comes in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So which person makes us holy? Yes. Yes, he does, right? They, they all do. God makes us holy. And those being made holy are of the same family. In this context, in this passage, the one who makes people holy is talking specifically about Jesus. In other passages, it talks about the Father and it talks about the Spirit. But here it's talking about Jesus. Now look at the next thing, number five. A plastic Jesus cannot call us family. I mean, sometimes when you're a kid, you wish your little brother was plastic, right? You melt him down and recycle him and get something better. <laughs> but a plastic Jesus, we can't call him family, but Jesus calls up us family. Look at verse 12. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. He's not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters. Would we ever call him our brother? We could. Yes, he's also our creator and our savior. He's our Lord. But yes, he is our brother. And he's not afraid to call us brothers and sisters. We're family with him. And then they, he quotes again from the Old Testament. He says, I will declare your name to my brothers and sisters. And he applies that to Jesus. In the assembly, I will sing your praises. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, he says, here am I and the children God has given me. Number six, a plastic Jesus could not defeat the devil and make us free. He couldn't do it. Look what it says in verse 14. Since the children have flesh and blood, we're the children, 
and we do, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil. It says, so that by his death, see, Jesus had to die. When he was in the garden and he said, if it is possible, take this cup from me, take this batch of suffering I'm about to experience, take it away from me. If it's it's possible, it wasn't possible. He had to die because by his death, he could gain victory over death and he could break the power of Satan and he could break the power that Satan had over people with death. He He could nullify it regarding Satan and his power. All of a sudden, Satan's biggest scare, I'm going to kill you, has no teeth anymore. It means nothing. That's the one thing that he thought if he could kill people, if he could destroy and take away life. It's talked about in the New Testament, right? To kill, steal, and destroy. That's why the thief has come. That's why Satan comes. But Jesus took that power away from him. It's, it's like those movies where the bad guy, he kind of gets a gun again and he's with the good guy. You think, you know, they're finally working together and then at the end the bad guy shows his true stripes. He puts the gun on the good guy. It's like, sorry, dude, sorry. Like, sorry, you trusted me. And he pulls the trigger and there's no bullet in the chamber. And then the good guy's like, I knew you were going to do that. You think I'm going to give you the bullet in your gun? You can have the gun and everybody thinks, and you think you had a bullet, but now you just showed your true stripe. You were going to kill me with that bullet. And that's Satan. He's going to kill us, but he's got no more bullets. Jesus took the bullets. He took a bullet, and it happened to be Satan's last bullet. Now look what it says. He might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. You know, there are some people that are enslaved to this fear of death. And some people fear death, and they just think that death is just the cessation of life. They think they, as I like to say, I don't like to say it, I guess I've said it, you die like a dog. You just go into the ground and you're not anymore. You just stop existing, right? You're just no more. You're gone. If they think death is that... And they like being. They like is before their name. They they like to be. And they're they're scared to death of dying and just being gone, being off the scene, being irrelevant, being forgotten, not being able to enjoy this thing that we enjoy called life. But there's worse than that, isn't there? There's separation. There's separation from God. There's separation from Jesus for all of eternity. And no matter how hot you make the temperature or no matter how roaring you make the flames or how long they're going to last, nothing really compares in suffering to the separation from God, the one who created us to have a relationship with him. He created us to have that relationship with him. And when we reject him and we say no to the only one who can save our souls, when we say no to him, What do we have left? We've got nothing left. In Jesus' death, by his death, he might free those 
who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death, by their fear of separation from life, separation from God, whatever that fear is, Jesus breaks the power of the devil and he breaks the power of fear in our lives. Number seven. Oh, I always forget this one. Verse 16. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. Now this doesn't mean the Jewish people. Who are Abraham's descendants? Well, you've got to go back to Genesis, what is it? Chapter, I want to say it's 15, but I don't think it's 15. Maybe Genesis uh, 7 or 8, where it says that Abraham believed God and God credited him righteousness. Abraham believed God. And over and over, especially in Paul's writings, he writes how if, if we're going to be a child of Abraham, we have to have faith like Abraham had faith. We have to believe like Abraham believed. And that belief in the work of Jesus on the cross and the person of Jesus being fully God and fully human, without sin, the final and sufficient and perfect sacrifice, that faith makes us like Abraham who just decided he was going to believe God and God made him righteous because of his belief. And in Hebrews, over and over and over, it talks about the work of Christ on the cross. It talks about how Jesus is both priest and sacrifice. You know, in the Old Testament, in fact, are we getting to that or did I, did I pass that? No, we haven't gotten to that yet. So let's look at number seven. Number seven is that plastic isn't human. Plastic isn't human. And it's important that Jesus was human. It's important that he was human. It's important that he was God, but it's just as important that he was human, that he was a real person in the flesh. Look what it says. For this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way. And when we are in heaven, we will be fully human. If our faith is in Jesus Christ, our sins are forgiven, we're with God, we're fully human. We're not some kind of angel, we're not some kind of spirit. We're the way God intended us to be. And Jesus had to be made like us, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God. And that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. If you go back into the Old Testament, there was a day that was a special day that Israel celebrated every year. It was the Day of Atonement. And it was the day that the high priest would go into the holy place and then into the holy of holies with the blood from the lamb, from the sacrifice, and he would sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat and on the Ark of the Covenant. He would sprinkle the blood there to make atonement for the people's sins and for the sins he had committed over the last year. And it was called the Day of Atonement. And Hebrews, I, I can't even express how fantastic Hebrews does this. Hebrews lays out in full 3D, glossy, vivid, 4K, what's the newest one now? There's some newest one. That Samsung commercial they keep showing. The newest TV has like the 
the, 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 best, the best display in the, in the universe. That's how Hebrews does it. They display Jesus as both the, the priest offering the sacrifice and the sacrifice. And as the high priest used to go in to the tabernacle that was constructed and described in the book of Exodus, and then later on the temple that was built by King Solomon, so Jesus somehow goes into the heavenly temple, the heavenly tabernacle, the, the throne room of God, and somehow, and I don't know, did he take, did he take his actual physical, human, divine blood? Did he somehow take his blood physically into heaven? And was there a place where he sprinkled that divine blood for the sins of the world? Not for his own sins, unnecessary, he had none, but for the sins of the world? How did it happen? It just says that he went into the sanctuary not made with hands. There personally, to offer his blood as an atonement for our sins. The final sacrifice, once for all. Once for all. And that's what it's saying here. He had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he could do that, in order that he could become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, so that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. That's who our faith is in, right? The real Jesus, the human, fully human and fully divine Jesus who paid for our sins. That's why we can get off. We beat the rap because he didn't. We, we get off, not scot-free, but we get off free based on the work of Jesus. Now, number eight, a plastic Jesus is no no good at all. No good. A plastic Jesus doesn't do anything. You see that guy's faith? He's not going anywhere. I never knew you. Depart from me. Hebrews 2, the last verse in the passage says, because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Ah, blah, blah, blah. No. Really? Are you ever tempted? Are you, are you being tempted right now? When you are tempted, because if you're not being tempted right now, you're going to be tempted, we could call out to Jesus. He was tempted. Later on, in, in, in chapter 4, I think is where it is, he's tempted in every way, like us, yet without sin. In theological circles, there's this great debate that will rage until Jesus comes. And the debate is, could Jesus have sinned? It's not, did he sin? Everybody agrees he didn't sin. But the debate is, could he have sinned? Or could he not have sinned? And if he was not able to sin, was the temptation real? And would he have to be able to sin to make the temptation valid? The answer is, We'll have to ask God when we get there. I don't know. I have my thoughts about it, but they're as good as your thoughts. But here's what I know. He himself suffered when he was tempted. He was tempted, and he suffered. And so he can be a merciful and faithful high priest. Merciful because he understands. He knows what it is to be tempted. He suffered with the temptation. 
yet without sin, but he's setting it up. The writer is already setting it up here in chapter 2 for what he's going to say in chapter 4. And he's able to help those who are being tempted. The theme of Jesus helping us, Jesus being our hope and strength, is going to come up over and over and over in the book of Hebrews. Over and over. Thank God we don't have a plastic Jesus. We have one who took our sins on his own body, physical body on the cross, and are calling out to him, the Savior, makes us holy and makes us clean. And we get his righteousness. He takes our sin and he pays for it. And in its place, we get his righteousness. And we're acceptable to God. Would you join me in prayer? Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you. We thank you that you're our merciful and faithful high priest. We thank you, as it says later on in Hebrews, that because of you being tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin and becoming our sacrifice, we can come boldly, boldly to the throne of grace where you've already been and you've already sprinkled the blood. So for those of us this morning who have been believers in Jesus for a long time, maybe this morning we just recommit ourselves. We recommit to that belief, to that belief that is so powerful it changes how we think and it so changes how we think that it affects and, and informs how we act. A belief that changes how we think and how we act. And Lord Jesus, this morning as believers, we recommit ourselves to that faith, the faith of Abraham, to that belief in you and your work on the cross and in who you are and who you were that day, paying for our sins. And for some here this morning, you have never believed who have never believed in Jesus, who have never known the power of God in your life. This morning you can say to God, Lord God, in Jesus' name I come to you. And because of him and because of his work on the cross, I come to you and I ask you to forgive my sins and I ask you to make me clean. I ask you to give me your holiness. I'm tired of being in the driver's seat of my life. And I ask you to take the wheel. Lord Jesus, forgive me and make me new. Our God, we ask you to do the work in us through the power of your spirit that only you can do. And I pray that as we leave this morning, we would go out as kingdom people with the heart of Jesus, loving you and loving others and being the body of Christ wherever we go. In Jesus' name, amen.